What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse. It's Greg and I, as always. We're just going to run down a quick. It's going to run down a couple quick topics here, covering Ohio State football, um, Cincinnati college football, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Browns and the Bengals Week One matchup, and then end the episode with some baseball with the Reds and the Guardians. So the season is rounding out here, but we'll go ahead and start with Ohio State football first. Um, I'm just going to assume most of us got to watch the game or at least some highlights of it. But if you did not, I'll quickly go over some of the stats. So Kyle McCord um, against Indiana was 20 for 33, 239 with one interception. Uh, Devin Brown only passed three times, had one completion for negative two yards. Uh, When you look at the rushing stats here, so Chip Trainum had eight carries for 57 yards, good for 7.1 a carry. Uh, Travion Henderson was 12 carries, 47 yards. It's good for 3.9 yards a carry. And then mine Williams had seven carries for 25 yards, good for 3.6 a carry, and he had two rushing touchdowns. Um, in this game, Cade Stover was the clear uh, pass or pass catching favorite for Kyle McCordy had five receptions for 98 yards. And Julian Fleming, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Amuka uh, Abeka were all held under 100 yards combined. So um, definitely a rough night for those three guys, especially Marvin Harrison Jr., who looks to be probably a top five pick. He was only uh, caught two balls for 18 yards. I think there was one point where he had a pretty big um, catch that he was going to have, but then he stepped out of bounds, wasn't able to get the toe tap in. So that's a little bit rough. But other than that, the defense seemed to hold Indiana only to three points. They had less than 100 yards passing. And I think less than 100 yards rushing. I think in total they maybe had like 150 yards on offense or something like that. So definitely a good day for the defense. But just for um, us, Greg, you know, looking at those stats and and kind of going back and looking at what Kyle McCord was able to do, um, I almost kind of felt like he was a little bit flat in that first performance. But how do you feel about it? I mean, I really think that the whole team as a whole – lacked confidence uh you could just tell that there's a lot of freshmen out there um in certain areas uh especially freshman quarterback and and they're just like i said lack of confidence uh throughout the whole bunch and and you could see it uh in the game uh played yeah yeah i i I don't know the offensive line seemed to be not gelling as well obviously a lot of first year starters with them um, so that's going to take a little bit of time. You know, we lost three guys to the NFL last year. So that, that's going to take a pretty big hit. But I don't know. And and I guess, too, like when you look around the league and everybody's blowing out their first opponents that they're playing, they're kind of playing these teams that they really shouldn't play. <laughs> you know, you look at like somebody playing like Eastern Kentucky or, you know, Ohio University or whatever it may be. And you're like, you have no reason really playing that game anyway. And, and Ohio State did go out and play Indiana, who maybe would be probably a bottom third big 10 team, but they're still a big 10 team. They still have, you know, four, five-star recruits on their team. They're not, they're not scrubs. So we just definitely felt like a game where the defense dominated, but the offense just didn't, it just felt very flat. And I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to say Cobb McCord was bad, but it just didn't, it felt uninspired. I think that's probably the, the best word that I could use to describe that is uninspired and flat. So um, and my next question here was, you know, leading up to this game, we knew that Kyle McCord was going to start because Ryan Day said so, but he said that Devin Brown was going to play 
significant snaps in that game. Now, obviously, things change throughout the game. You look at a game where at halftime it's 10 to 3. Maybe he felt like, hey, I just can't give him those significant snaps. But um, we heard that they were so close in camp. I'm just wondering, you know, why you think Devin Brown played so few snaps and he didn't really get the opportunity to go out there and showcase, you know, maybe what they were seeing in camp that caused that um, quarterback competition to go so long. I mean, they even said that uh, during after the interview of the game, he said that he needed to do what was best to win the game at the time. Yeah. Um, and so that was his first goal. Um, so he just felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, kind of, I think, I think he said he went with his gut and uh, he, he can sit here and tell you all about the analytics and the right way to do this and that. Uh, but, you know, it, it came down to Kyle was going to have, you know, finish out that game. And they've said that this next coming uh, up game that they're, you know, he's going to try to even out the snaps a, a little bit more. You know, you, you want to evaluate your Q, QBs in, you know, especially freshman QBs in uh, real-time situations. There's only so much camps and, and you know, practices can do um, that, you know, maybe he just saw something that Devin on the few snaps he had, like you said, I think there was, what, 11 plays, uh, 11 drives throughout the game um, that uh, he just wasn't seeing that real-time uh you know, moments where he's like, well, I, I think that Kyle's going to be the one that's going to be put me in a best situation to win. And and I think earlier, you, you know, just said that it was a game of, of defense, you know, like it, Indiana ranks like, you know, the bottom, you know, two or three in defense uh, for the Big Ten. And just to see them put up that little numbers, the Ohio State put up that little numbers against uh, lower tier defense is just it just shows you and it showed in you know the Buckeyes getting ranked uh, now fifth instead of third uh, in the rankings because like you said uninspired play um, and if that's a testament to what the season is going to be uh, it's going to be a long year yeah yeah the other thing that I think was hyped a lot in this camp was you know the running back room and having now three guys in that running back room where they felt if they were healthy, um, they would be able to compete with anybody running the ball-wise. But when you really kind of look at what they did, I mean, the, between the three guys that played, I think maybe they had just around 100 and maybe 20 or 30 yards combined. You know, Mayan had those two goal line touchdowns. But outside of that, it really – wasn't like a crazy efficient running game. And I think you could put a lot of that on the offensive line when you kind of watched the D-line from Indiana was able to get through the offensive line a lot. But, you know, like as much hype as was put on how good this running back room was going to be, like like how good really was this in your opinion? You know, is this something that we hope to see get better throughout the season? Or is this what we have for, is this what we're looking at for the entire season where it's just, some people are going to get loose. Some people aren't. Well, I mean, Ohio State has never been a run-dominant team since, you know, probably Zeke, you know, back in the day. Um, you know, when it comes in, that was seven or eight years ago. I mean, I think from 2012 to 2020, Ohio State averaged uh, more than 200 rushing yards per game only eight times. Um, yeah. You know, the running game hasn't gotten back to that even close. 
over the last two years. Um, so, you know, the, the passing game has definitely become the focal point, um, you know, and I think Ohio State hasn't hit 200 rushing yards uh, per game since in a game since 2020. Um, that might be incorrect, but uh, but that, you know, part of the offense is just something that's not necessarily uh, worked on. So I'd, I'd be surprised if we get anything past that uh, when it comes down to it. Like I said that the passing game has been the focal point for years, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting. I, mean, I think I think Trainum looked more explosive than uh, Trivion Henderson. Obviously, like I said, it, it's kind of hard to tell because, I don't know, that offensive line – it's kind of like a leaky sink, but um, yeah, I it just it just seemed like you know Trainum was able to get out of those situations a little bit better than than Henderson was. But I don't know what to see. We'll have to see how that offensive line develops over the year. We'll have to see if that gets better. But I mean, I think the three of those guys they should all be able to at least you know share in carries, be able to average like four or five yards a carry and and put themselves in a situation where they each have about like 50 or 60 rushing yards. And I think that will help out, especially you can rotate them out and keep them healthy, but I don't know. We'll see. Let us know at home what you guys think about this rushing game. Like I said, we heard so much over the off season that this was going to be what the focus was with a new quarterback starting. And it just like, kind of like Kyle McCord's play, it just felt uninspired and a little bit flat. So I don't know, week one woes we'll see, but um, just to end this off with, you know, after this first game, Greg, what do you think this team needs to work on? What are the few things that they need to get better at in order to really compete for a Big Ten title and push themselves into the college football playoffs? I mean, like I said before, they hardly look like they're ready to contend for a national title. Um, uh, you know, they they definitely look like a team with three starting offensive linemen and a rookie quarterback, uh, like I stated before. Um, it's just uh, their O-line needs to get better. Obviously, we just discussed their, their rushing needs to improve uh, considerably. Um, you know, I don't know if Kyle Devin is going to be what it takes. Um, maybe it takes a couple losses and some work out the kinks. Uh, I just, like I said previously before, uh, I think it's going to be a long season for the Buckeyes, and I would be surprised if we finished – and a lot of people could probably shoot me for this and uh, all that, but uh, I'd be surprised if we finished in the top uh, 10 uh, at the end of the year. It is a tough schedule. I mean, you look at, we have Notre Dame. Obviously, we play Michigan. Um, I think we play Penn State. So, right there, you have, you know, three teams that are going to be tough games and, and that, that are losable games if we're not where we need to be. So, I think for me, the defense looks good. They were athletic. They were flying the ball. They were getting to the quarterback. So I think if they can continue to improve, I don't think the defense is really what we have to worry about, which is a weird thing to say because I feel like that's what we've been worrying about the past like four or five years. But I think this year the defense is going to be is going to be solid and will continue to grow and get better. I think my main thing for them to work on is this offensive line. I think we heard so much of it in camp and over the offseason that this was the main focus of whether or not they were going to be able to be successful. And I think it shows. I think if you can't, run block that's tough because your running backs are gonna have a hard time hitting the holes if there's guys plugging them up and if your quarterback doesn't have enough time to throw the ball especially when you have a first year quarterback he's going to be rushing throws he's not going to be as accurate he might be doing more check downs so those big chunk plays that you want to see in college football just aren't going to be able to happen so 
I think it really starts with that offensive line and if they can pass block better and they can run block better. And I think if they can do those two things, then I'm just hoping that Kyle McCord will develop and maybe we just, you know, it's his first game. It is what it is. He'll grow. And if they can run block better than those three guys, like I said, can average about five yards of carry each rush for about like 50 or 60 yards a game. And we can lean on them more as a run game while those guys get better in the quarterback room. So, but let's go ahead and move a little bit south there to some Cincinnati Bearcat football. Uh, my only question for them, obviously they played Eastern Kentucky, so not like a crazy hard opponent to play uh, for them, but they blew them out like they should have, and, and they looked like they played pretty well. Obviously with em- Emory Jones playing and his stats, I believe, um, let's see here, I have them written down on my, my notes here. Um, Emory Jones was 19 for 23, 345 yards, five passing touchdowns, and then he also had two rushing touchdowns on the night as well. So, you know, with this performance, does this give you confidence that this team could compete for a Big 12 title this year for their first year in the conference? Obviously, with Texas and Oklahoma, that might be a little tough, but what do you think, Greg? I mean, I think it's a it's a great start. It shows that they are a threat with this, you know, high-powered offense. Um, like you said, he totaled six touchdowns in the first half, like uh, 19 for 23, um, like you said. Uh, what struck me is that he threw five touchdowns to five different receivers uh, and mm-hmm. broke a single-season game record with seven touchdowns total. Um, so they finished with 667 yards of total offense. So that really shows that they they know what they're doing, that everybody's um, running the routes the way they should be. And um, even against a, uh, a stronger defensive team, I still think that they're going to put uh, points on the board. And I, uh, I think they'll definitely contend. This, this uh, was an exciting game to, to watch. Yeah, I mean, if they if they are able to play this way, I, I really only see Texas and Oklahoma kind of standing in their way of of winning the Big Twelve. You know, I, I don't I don't know if I expect them to to make the playoffs this year, but I think at very worst, I think they they lose maybe two games this year, and I think they only have Oklahoma on their schedule. They don't even play Texas, so the only time they maybe they'd play Texas if they had to play them in the Big Twin Big Twelve, uh, you know, championship game, but. I don't know. It's a. It'll be very interesting watching this team going forward. It's it's a different look. I think a lot of us thought, okay, Luke Fickle's gone. Maybe they'll have a down year, but it looks like they were able to be, you know, like outmatch Eastern Kentucky a lot. And that's something that you want to see. You know, obviously playing those kind of cupcake games to start the season, you want them to dominate those games. Not that you know I feel bad for Eastern Kentucky but you want a team like that to dominate so that you could be like okay if they're dominating them like this then when they play the actual talent should be pretty competitive um they didn't fall flat in a game like this so it'll definitely be interesting and I'm excited like I said I I really kind of thought they might have like a down year or two but if they're able to continue to grow their program and um this you know their head coach is able to pick up where Luke Fickle left off that'll be very that'll be very good for for Ohio and in the Cincinnati football program. So any final thoughts on it? I mean, I, I really felt that they played fast and loose and um, a lot of energy um, that, you know, it just seemed like they were well coached. Um, offensive mm-hmm. line did great, at least through the first half. Um, defense was very solid. So, uh, you know, it just seems like 
everybody showed up for um you know the the tapes and then everybody you know knew what they were going to be doing and ran the routes they were supposed to run and it's just it was an exciting game to watch it was one of the few actual games that i was able to catch uh last week so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um let's go ahead and move on to the nfl we'll talk a little about browns and Bengals week one so that should be a pretty fun matchup week one division foes so first question right off the bat there greg who has a better game Burrow or Watson? Uh, I mean, this is uh, – I didn't like this when I saw the notes <laughs> that that we were going to talk <laughs> about this. It, it's uh, it's hard for me, especially with Burrow. We don't 100% know if that cap injury is going to be something that's going to hamper him. Mm-hmm. We don't know what type of Deshaun Watson we're going to get when it comes down to he's had a whole you know year, um, half a season last year, but then a whole year of – off-season conditioning and all the camps and and so we really don't know what type of Deshaun Watson we get. We might just have a a, a blowout season and he might just you know run the table on a lot of teams. So it, it'd be really interesting. Um, I guess this really comes down to is Joe healthy and what Deshaun Watson are we going to get? Um, and I'm going to side a little bit more with Deshaun Watson on this one and the Browns just for the simple fact that uh, Burrow and the Bengals have kind of proven that the first couple games of the season they're a little bit um, not quite all there I think they went started the season 0-2 last year um, before they mm-hmm. kind of got into their groove so uh, it'll be interesting this is uh, this will kind of be a, a testament to how the season is going to go I think just in this week one matchup yeah, I mean, these are two teams that kind of <laughs> historically are not good week one. So, I mean, we could either have like a really good matchup where it's like a back and forth or we could have like a really crappy matchup with like a ton of bad stuff happening. So I don't know, but I agree. I think Burrow's injury is a big question mark for them. I think they had a lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball for the Bengals. So that's a big question mark there. And then I really think the Browns, they're healthy, you know what I mean? I, we had this conversation the other the other day on a two-minute drill about, you know, when that defense is healthy, that Browns defense is a top 10, maybe even a top five defense, you know. Um, and I, I think them being healthy in this first game is, is a big step and, and them, you know, maybe winning it. But also I think their biggest question mark is going to be, like you said, whether or not Watson is what Watson was before, you know, everything happened. So, that that's that's where I'm at with that. I, I do agree. I think that the Browns have this one. I think Watson plays a little bit better. Um just because like we said, we don't know where Burrow's at and we don't know if he's gonna be one hundred percent. He might be favoring it a little bit. And I I don't know, when you have that defensive line that the Browns have, it's gonna be tough for that offensive line to protect Joe Burrow and I don't know. He might be running for his life, so we'll have to see what happens. But um, kind of transition into running for his life with that Browns newly vamped defensive line. Uh, Zadarius Smith with Miles Garrett. How many sacks do you think Burrow takes in this week one with that calf injury, maybe not being able to be as mobile? Where do you think he – where do we think that we are at the end of this game sack-wise for him? Oh, 10 plus easy. 
that's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's just it's just the way it is. I mean, I, I don't what what was the what was the final sack total last year? I mean, I knew it was trending up to pretty close to a hundred sacks in the season. I don't I think I think over his career, which what this is gonna be his fourth season that yeah. we're going to he has like two hundred and thirty total yeah. sacks or something like that. And remember, he didn't even really play his first year. So like mm-hmm. We're yeah, he's he had a lot last year. He probably had yeah. close to 100, if not more. And and I don't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't feel, I guess, that that offensive line um, really improved a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. So it, it just statistically, you're going to actually hear me say that a lot today, uh, moving forward. But I think statistically, it, it, it leans towards the fact that he's probably going to take close to 10 sacks. You know. Um, you know, in a game. So, you know, what's crazy too is I, um, I, I was listening to something, you know, some people talk about sports and they said that this Burrow situation reminds them a lot of Andrew Luck's situation where we have this like amazing talent at the quarterback position that could be the next generational talent that could win multiple Super Bowls if the right team is put around them, but the team is unable to protect him, unable to keep him off the turf and injuries just plague their career and and i'm i'm hoping this is not what is in store for burrow but it just it just almost kind of feels like this is where it's trending and and i, I don't know it sucks cuz not not that i want to see cincinnati win as a steelers fan <laughs> but i do like joe burrow and i think when you have a generational talent like he is as a football fan you want to see him be successful because that just makes football that much better to watch and more fun to watch. So. I mean, I agree with you uh, with the Andrew Luck. That was a really good uh, comment that uh, he he was, a, to me, a generational talent. He was somebody that, that could and should have went on to win, you know, uh, some uh, Super Bowls. Um, and then it just – I think but the difference between Luck and Burrow is that Andrew Luck knew when it was time to bow out and to, you know, I'm, I can't do this anymore. It's, they didn't protect me enough to the point where the injuries are going to happen more often and I'm going to get out while the getting's good. Whereas I think Burrow's a little bit more, um, what's the word I want to use, uh, pig headed or, or stubborn. Um, I think he'd mm-hmm. stick it out a little bit longer in those situations just to try to, um, you know, prove something not only to himself, but to, you know, maybe the, the, the haters. Um, Cause he, he definitely relishes in some of the, the hating. Uh, so I don't yeah. know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, my last question was who wins and why, but I think we answered that already. I think we both agree that the Browns probably win this game. Um, and that's only because of the question marks with Joe Burrow. So maybe Joe Burrow comes out and we see, Hey, there are no question marks and he's going to win this game. I'm kind of hoping that's how it goes, but yeah. So let us know what you guys think at home. Browns or Bengals, what do you got um, and why? So, all right, we'll go ahead and finish this episode off with some baseball talk here. We'll go ahead and talk about the Reds and the Guardians. So pretty much, Greg, same question for both for the first question here. Um, I think there's probably around like 20 games left, if I counted correctly, um, in the season. You know, what are a couple good things and a couple, you know, bad things that we can take away from each of these teams' season so far? Uh, obviously, I'll start with the Reds on this one. Um, 
Um, some of the good things is offense is, is uh, firing on all cylinders for the most part, I guess I would say, is that they seem mm-hmm. to get on these hot streaks and then cool off for a couple days um, and then get back on a hot streak. Um, so it'd be really interesting um, with them. You know, like I said, they, they've got young talent uh, with L.A., De La Cruz, um, and Carson uh and Carthenon Strand, I know I said that incorrectly, but uh, he's another one that that's just uh, um, been pretty phenomenal. Uh, their pitching is, like I said, it's it's hot and cold. It's uh, sometimes they have some great pitching, um, but even when their pitching tends to uh, fail them, their offense has uh, you know lit it up a little bit more. Um, you know they, they are going for the series sweep against the Mariners as we speak. Um, so it'll be it'll be really interesting um, for them. Um, as far as the Guardians, I mean, I don't know. There's not a lot to positive to say about them. Um, they got a lot of young guys. Uh, I think now they're the, the second or third youngest team. I think some other teams have have made that um, move, and some some of the teams are have got a slightly younger uh, core. Um, pitching hasn't been good. Offense hasn't been good. There's so uh, I don't necessarily have a lot to say about the the Guardians when it comes to what um, they've been able to do. Um, it's kind of been a lackluster season for them, uh, was comparative to the Reds, who have been shining for a long time and continue to uh, put forth that that effort i guess is the best way it's but it's not the right word but you know what i mean yeah yeah i I agree with the reds i think um when you look at their runs scored they're 10th in the mlb last time i looked and then stolen bases they're first so when you look at them you know scoring um and moving around the bases i think that that adds their explosiveness and their ability to have a really uh, high-powered offense throughout this season which i think helps uh, their pitching, which was their one bad thing that I had with them, which they're 24th in ERA. So, you know, ERA is, I think, the only thing that you could, in my mind, that you can really kind of look at a pitcher and be like, that's what they're responsible for um, when it comes to runs and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I think that that's definitely something they need to improve on. I think if they had a little bit of a better pitching staff, I think we're talking about them really, truly competing for a playoff spot, and there's no doubt Um instead of them fighting right now with the guardians, I think it's flipped. I think they haven't been great at pitching, but they are sitting at like eighth in ERA. So they're not in my mind. I don't think they're completely awful. Obviously there's other factors that go into it, but um, hitting wise is where in like scoring is really where um, they are like lacking their 15th in batting average. And then their 25th in runs scored. So obviously their offense has been, dreadful you know what i mean so you kind of have this drastic difference between both of them if you took maybe the guardians pitching and the reds offense and you put that together (laughs) maybe uh maybe we have like a true playoff team here but i think that they both have their own struggles and things to work on i know when talking to dom he's always he's always complaining about how they can't find any hitting and (laughs) it upsets them so much they can't figure it out in their farm system for the guardians but I, they they have to figure it out. They have to do something, and and I don't know if that means like when they do find that that talent on the offensive side of the ball instead of shipping them off for you know uh, 
what am I trying to say? Uh, prospects. Uh, maybe they should actually pay them and keep them around so they can be productive on the offensive side of the ball. But I don't know. That's kind of what I got from them, good and bad from both. So anything else to add to that? Yeah, I mean, with, when it comes to the Guardians, like I think the trade deadline was a perfect example of of the failures of the front office. And I don't want to say the failures of Tito Francona because uh, I, I love and adore that man. Um, and I know he's been plagued by some illnesses throughout the year. So, uh-huh. um, but when it comes down to it, like I said, with the trade deadline, it's getting rid of Josh Bell and then having him just be on fire in Miami. Um, it's trading for Noah Syndergaard and then just having him get lit up every start he had and then optioning him off. Uh, so it just, it just shows that there's to me, lack of effort on the, the sense of the front office when it comes to um, gauging talent, getting good talent, keeping around talent that probably could do better, but just isn't motivated enough to do so. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, Final question for both teams. What is the likelihood that each of these teams makes a good enough push to put themselves in the playoffs this year? So we'll start with um, the Reds. Uh, I firmly believe they will make the uh, playoffs. They have the easiest strength of schedule moving forward throughout the rest of the 20-some games that they're playing. They, Like I said, they are trying to sweep the Mariners uh, in a game that's going on right now. Uh, then they've got the Cardinals, Tigers, Mets, Twins, Pirates, Guardians, and Cardinals again. Only the Twins have a winning record so far um, That in that final uh, grouping of games that they have left to play. Uh, and the Twins are hit and miss type of team too. So um, you might get a, a, a great Twins team. And, and sometimes, you know, the fact that they're making the playoffs just makes me sad because – Twins are a garbage team um, that just happens to be in the weakest division. And I think all of baseball um, yeah. So when it comes down to it. Um, but uh, so when it comes to that, they are only five and a half games back in their division. Um, and I think they're, that makes them like third in their division, but only uh, five and a half, five and a half games back. Um, the Cubs are being red hot right now. So that's uh, kind of, I don't think that they're going to, pass that up um they are half a game up in the third wild card spot um and miami arizona and san francisco are all within two games i think miami's a half a game um below them arizona's a full game and san francisco's two games um and san francisco's about to get swept by the cubs um again arizona's a team where it's just it's a hit or miss for them um, they can be really good. Corbin Carroll's just been phenomenal for Arizona. I think he's been um, really carrying that team. And then Miami is another team that, that was phenomenal the first half of the season. And I think those that win total first half of the season has helped keep them in contention for this. Um, but over the last uh, – since the All-Star break, um, I think they're doing pretty poorly. Um, I think like – 17 and and 23 or something like that so um statistically uh the reds have a greater chance of making the playoffs um and i think maybe possibly doing fairly decent um in the playoffs because i believe that they would face 
um, possibly the central winner. So we'd have to look at that, but um, should be interesting. Okay. Um, moving on to the Guardians again. Uh, statistically, they're still in it. The likelihood of them making it is, is yeah. <laughs> the likelihood of them, um, they're only seven and a half or seven games, I'm sorry, back in their division, um, behind the Twins. Um, they're 11 games back in the wild card. Um, so they'd have to jump the Yankees and the Red Sox, um, for that third spot. Um, so or the and the uh, Rangers too to actually take that third spot. Sorry, um, and their strength of schedules. You got the Angels again, a hit or miss team all year. Um, they they've done you know great in some games and they've done horrible in some games. Uh, Giants are on a downward slide, so you could see maybe a, a, a series win out of that. Um, Rangers are just by God god awful, um, and so uh, they've been destroyed by the Astros these last couple of games. Um, I think they can probably take a series against the Royals. Then they move to the Orioles, um, which, you know, I, I think they are locked for the um, AL East. Uh, and then they have a game against the Reds, which I think the Reds are up on that series throughout the year so far. And then they finish it off with the Tigers. So unless the Guardians go on a a tear throughout the rest of the uh, season. I just don't see it happening for them. And I think it's kind of a rebuild. I think they're going to have to go for a new coach because Terry Francona said he's retiring. Um, so I think that there's just not a lot of motivation for the team to be doing good moving forward. Um, they could play some spoiler, but we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they, they would have to win their, their division team and probably make it in. Like, it doesn't seem like there's room in the wild card race for them unless like teams just completely fall off. But I, I don't know. That seems a little bit like the ground seems a little bit more to make up in the wild card run. He said they're like 11 games back. So and only being seven games back in their division seems a little bit more doable, even though it's probably not, but it seems like a little bit more doable than making the wild card. So I don't know, maybe the twins fall off the planet and then uh, the guardians slip in. I don't know. That's why I said statistically. I mean, there's yeah. always a chance. You, you, I mean, what is it? The 2007 uh, Rockies, um, you know, had to win uh, 20 of 21 games to make it to the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they they did it, and they ended up making it all the way to the World Series. So, yeah, so it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's it's happened before. Um, so, well, we'll you know. I'm not crossing my fingers, and I'm not putting money down on it. As long as my hope for an Ohio World Series is still alive, I'm okay. <laughs> anyway, all righty. That's pretty much it for our topics for our episode today, guys. We'll go ahead and go into our double-take segment. So, Greg, what do you got for our double-take segment this week? Well, we you know started off with uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, and so I kind of was going over some, some facts of, of Ohio State Buckeyes, and I came to the Ohio State-Michigan Wolverines rivalry, and you know, obviously we all know that it's one of the best rivalries in all of sports. I think ESPN even ranked it um, as one of the greatest North American sports rivalries of all time. Um, so the teams have played each other since October 17th, 1897. So that's, you know, 
uh, a lot of years uh, of, of rivalry. Um, but where do you think that rivalry possibly could have started? Do you think it started on the gridiron? I, I want to say yes, but I, I just feel like it was like something stupid, like, <laughs> like, well, like basket weaving or like, I don't no. know. So there could have been a a rivalry of states dating all the way back to 1835. So during 1835 and 1836, the state of Ohio and Michigan Territory engaged in a brief and nearly bloodless, so nearly bloodless, so somebody somebody shed some blood, border dispute known as the Toledo War. Some have proposed that the football rivalry is a modern manifestation of this historical tension. So if Ohio State always hated Michigan based on the, the Toledo War, and then when football started happening, it was like, oh, we, we hate that team up north. Oh, we hate Ohio. You know, it, it could have could have happened from that that's pretty funny though over toledo man they could have had toledo bro like what like what are we doing right now so i have a a second part to to uh the little rivalry i thought that was really interesting uh as well did you know that the buckeyes could have won uh the big 10 title in a trip to the rose bowl if it wasn't for pride say that again so the ohio state uh, Buckeyes could have uh, won the Big Ten uh, title and the trip to the Rose Bowl if it wasn't for pride. I, I win. I win. I win. I win. So in 1950, number eight, Ohio State was scheduled to host the game amidst one of the worst blizzards in Ohio history. The Buckeyes, who led the Big Ten, were granted the option of canceling the game, which would have given them the Big Ten title and a trip to the Rose Bowl. Ohio State refused to cancel, and the two teams played. Michigan went on to win 9-3. The victory gave Michigan the Big Ten title and a Rose Bowl appearance. I mean, listen, I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of those hindsight 2020 things. But also, like, if they had just canceled it and not played, that kind of feels cheap, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they lost, but they still they still at least went out there and were like, we're going to play. Like, they could have been like, yeah, no, nah, we're just going to take this and go home. Like, <laughs> Do you think at halftime they were like, oh, man, we should have canceled this game. <laughs> this is crazy out here. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you, Toledo, um, for forging one of the most iconic rivalries in sports. Um, yeah, that's 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 very interesting. I did not know that. I knew it was going to be over something like stupid, like freaking Toledo. All right. Well, nothing against Toledo. I like Toledo. It seems like a cool place know some people from there so there you go um here's a fun one you know the heisman trophy right yeah and i don't know if, if we've gone over this fact or not yet we might have and i just forgot but it seems like a pretty big one that i would remember but you know who like the heisman trophy is named after isn't it joe heisman it's john heisman okay i knew it was jay would it surprise you if mr john heisman was a native of cleveland ohio I did not know that. Yes. He's a native of Cleveland, Ohio. His first coaching job was at Oberlin College. He coached there for the 1992 season and 18, or sorry, 1892 season, right? Yes. And 1894 season. Um, In between that, he coached at, I think it's Butchell College, which is now Akron University. 
Um, during his time there, he uh, he beat Ohio State three times during his time at those two programs, and he didn't sustain his first loss in those four seasons um, until I think his second year or third year of coaching, um, and it was to what we now know as Case Western Reserve, but at the time it was called Case School of Applied Science. <laughs> So obviously he went on to have the the career that he did. I think he won uh, two national championships with Georgia Tech. But I also thought it was funny, fun because like when looking at his stuff, he coached baseball as well too, which I never I never knew that. Um, but he had coached baseball at Butchell, aka Akron University, for a season. They were so bad that he was. They were like, yeah, you're never coaching baseball here again. Um, <laughs> they had like the worst season. Um, and then when he got to Georgia Tech during that run where they won two national championships there, he was their uh, baseball coach there um, from 1904 to 1917. Um, but yeah, didn't win any baseball championships. Though. I think he won like one division one or something like that. Uh, but yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. So Mr. Heisman. The guy that the Heisman Trophy is named after is from o- is from Cleveland. So, I don't know. The more you know. The pocket tee of America has produced some pretty cool things and some pretty cool people. And that one was something that I literally looked, typed in Google. I was like, fun facts for Ohio. And I was like looking for stuff because I've <laughs> like gone through my three city things that I wanted to do. And they were like, yeah, John Heisman's from Cleveland. And I was like, what the heck? How have we not found this one yet? <laughs> yeah, right. That, that should have been something that came up a lot sooner. That should have been like day one. Like when you look that up, that's that's like, that's the football stat. Like I don't understand <laughs> what we're doing. Like, And then obviously after that should be like, you know, football. Because football was created in Ohio. In Canton. So you're like, not only was football created in Canton, but, or I guess professional football, whatever, but the person who the biggest trophy, like basically the MVP of college football is named after is from Ohio. You would think that that would be like number two. Like, (laughs) I don't understand why we haven't found that one yet. But that was very interesting. So that was was a fun one. I was really hoping that you didn't have that because I was like, man, if we go into this with this, I'm going to be like, what the heck? (laughs) So... All right, guys, as always, let us know your fun facts that you know, or if there's a fun fact that you want us to present on one of these episodes, you know, uh, comment on one of our posts, or you can always shoot us an email. I know it's a little old school, but if you want to email deepdivesports at yahoo.com, there you go, yahoo, you can uh, let us know your fact, and we'll say it on the episode. And then, uh, as always, if anybody wants to come on here and talk sports with us, let us know as well, too, so... As always, I'm Nick. I was joined by Greg. This was another episode of Ohio Verse presented by Deep Dive Sports, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohio Verse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohio Verse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one. Thank you.